0: listening to The State of Sustainability, a podcast that highlights sustainability initiatives throughout the state and develops a casual conversation about environmental stewardship that the average person can understand and replicate. I am your host, Caleb Powell.
1: And I'm your co-host, Ashley Kapura.
0: So this month, we are sort of piggybacking off of our last month's episode. Uh, If you have listened and um, you tuned in, it was about um, at-home gardening and starting your, your garden at home. Um, and this month we are actually going to be talking to someone from the UK, Carl Minturn, uh, and he's got a podcast that talks a little bit about everything you need to know about self-sufficiency um, at home. So we're super excited about that. We got a great episode for you guys. And, I mean, Carl is just completely um, full of knowledge when it comes to self-sufficiency. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it.
1: Yeah. So he actually reached out to us. Um, it's crazy. He found us and was like, I really like what y'all are doing. You know, the, the purpose behind the podcast, which is always great to hear when someone, uh, uh, you know, gives us a compliment. So, um, so yeah, really excited. Um, and, uh, We'll to see what, what good things he has to say because um, his podcasts are, are awesome and um, and uh, stay tuned and we'll tell you how to find his podcast and, and listen to the episodes.
0: Yeah because we um, we cover quite a bit of stuff on on our episode but his podcast has you know just I, I think like up in the 50s of uh, episodes on different topics and stuff like that to help you be more self-sufficient um, at your home with your food and with, um, just your waste and everything like that. So Okie okay, dokie. So we are very, very excited to have a very special guest, Carl Mintern. He is from the Self Sufficient Hub podcast and it's really, really, um, a dynamic episode this week or month or year, whatever you want it to be. Um, because we are, having to talk to Carl through Zoom meeting. We've never done that before. So, and then also we have Ashley on the phone since we're still um, not in the office. So, Carl comes to us from the UK, is that correct, Carl? Yeah, it is, all the way across the pond. So yeah, and we've had a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say trouble, just a little bit of more thought process that goes into it uh, because he's six hours ahead of us. So we are recording this at noon here um, in Tennessee, and then it's 6 p.m. there in the U.K., so it's pretty exciting. It's a a whole different dynamic, and we're just very, very, very excited to have Carl on here. Um, So uh, what I wanted to first go ahead and say, we're going to get into who Carl is and and what his podcast um, uh, is about, but I just wanted to say, so... He found our podcast through anchor We both uh, make our podcast through anchor and he sent me a voice message and um, both of our topics that are that our podcast cover sort of overlap and so um, with that being said, Carl I, if you want to just go ahead and talk about yourself a little bit and then um, and then your podcast as well.
2: Sure, yeah, so um, basically I reached out because your audience is obviously uh, really keen on sustainability and things like that, and I am very much working in that area, but in a very specific way, I'm working on a more household level side of it, so we're working to become completely food self-sufficient and as self-sufficient as we can be in, in every way, So I don't envisage it being a destination that I'm ever actually going to arrive at where I'm completely self sufficient because, in this day and age, no one actually is. You know, as soon as you pick up the phone and send a text message, that's it. You've, you've broken everything down because we're not going to be making our own phones or anything like that. But the idea is to move in that direction and to enjoy the journey. So I'm spending a lot of time learning about. Basically, becoming food self-sufficient is the primary goal and actually achieving that goal to whatever degree, but also learning all the old skills and things that aren't really done frequently
3: that used to be done all the time things like tapping trees for for sap and all that kind of thing you
2: know we're going to be we've got an apiary we're just waiting for our first bees to arrive so we're going to be making our own honey we already make all our own cheese from goats that we milk make our own ice cream things like that we've got poultry and we raise meat and obviously vegetables and we do all this as sustainably as possible literally trying to take as much responsibility for us and our consumption as we possibly can and i just thought it might be a useful thing for us to have this chat basically because i imagine there are some things that i'm doing on a more personal level that might resonate with your audience
0: definitely that's um it's so cool and and really what you're doing is is really a dream of mine i um right now i just live on you know a very very small piece of property in town, um, and so uh, the the most sustainable uh, or self sufficient that I am is I have my small little garden outside. Um, but um, my my grandparents they have a farm, um, and I think eventually one day my, my goal is to, to to move out there, build myself a house, and 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 really follow in your footsteps. Uh, I like how you say that you you make you know you have, you milk your goats and, and that's my dream is to have my, my goat farm. I want to, I want to make, I'm obsessed with goat cheese. So, um, yeah, I just, it's just really cool. Um, really cool to, to have this conversation and, and for us to be able to, to talk it, you know, be, like you said, across the pond, it's, it's really, really neat. Yeah.
1: The timing, the timing for it is great too. Cause I think a lot of people are learning, especially through um, this COVID pandemic that, um, we rely really heavily on, um, food production and, um, you know, other companies to provide us food. And a lot of people are realizing, wow, I need to, we need to get back to learning how to make our own food, grow our own food and be able to, you know, like you said, be self-sufficient. Um, and Honestly, I just started a garden a, a month ago, and so I, I guess that was kind of the, the mind frame I was in, um, is that, wow, there's something that they don't have at the store. Hey, I could have it right here. I could grow it in my own backyard.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, that, that's the genesis is, is that thought, and obviously what the, the beauty of it is once you get that little seed of passion for this kind of thing, it can just snowball into something crazy and you can, you know, you'd be amazed at what you can do. If you don't even have a garden, you know, you'd be amazed at what you can do, but we're so, as a species, we've become so as, particularly in the first world, obviously, we've become so detached from the food supply chain in a lot of people's heads. You know, you go to the supermarket, you buy whatever, you come home and that's it. And that's all the thought that ever goes into it. But, you know, we, we, this, this pandemic has obviously crystallized the thought process for a lot of people and allowed a lot of people to really think about it afresh, if you like, when they're seeing things that aren't available, uh, you know, even things as simple as toilet paper, it makes people think about the supply chain and okay so what is the breakdown there and then obviously pork and obviously it's going to vary from place to place but there's lots of places in the us i know have suffered from pork shortages because of the way that the pandemic took hold in some processing plants but each one of these little incidents shows us how important or how, not so how important but how much we rely on this global network of transportation and delivery and the carbon costs associated with it and I talk about quite often on my podcast I talk about how we can just take responsibility for these things and how we can just look at making tiny tiny changes that have a huge impact on our well-being and also our footprint because just by choosing to grow something at home think of all those food miles that you're taking out of the supply chain and by just slightly changing our eating habits over time to eat more locally eat more seasonally just these small changes can really compound and add up to massive differences in our actual footprint just in our eating and, you know, the, I, I I could talk for months on this <laughs> subject, so don't be shy about cutting me off, but, you know, the, the, little things like how we think about our food waste and all of these things compound and they can make it really super easy for you, whoever you are, wherever you live, to become completely self-sufficient in some things in some of your dietary requirements. Maybe it's just herbs. Maybe you live in a flat and all you have is a windowsill. You can still grow pretty much all of your own herbs. That's, it helps you connect with the food. Sorry, go on.
0: No, I mean, and you know, you never really, I've never really thought of it in that aspect. You know, it's like, you've got to start somewhere, you know, and but and like you said, if you just live in a very small place where you can only have, a, a you know, your herbs, but I also like um, episode six of your podcast. It said, "pace yourself." I really, um, I thought that was a really cool and important, um, you know, a tip for when it for being yeah. and, and goes back to really what you just said is you just sort of have to slowly change the you know your eating habits to be more seasonal and and I, and Ashley, whenever we had that sustainable spirits tour and we, um, where did we get that food from?
1: Uh, we got it from the
0: Natural Food Project. And and they do such a good job there with bringing in seasonal vegetables and season, seasonal um, fruits. And, and, and their chefs are just amazing with being able to combine that and make it into just, you know, things that I usually don't eat. Um, and it's just really cool to think about being able to be self-sufficient with certain things, you know, I mean, and, yeah, uh, and so, and then also I was looking through just some of, I didn't, I haven't listened to all of your episodes, but, um, um, I, I listened to the one about food security with an urban garden. And, uh, yeah. I, I think that that's really, uh, you know, there's a lot of people here that live in the urban areas and, you know, here in, in our state in Tennessee, there's one in seven people that are food insecure. Um, yeah. you know, meaning they don't know where their, their next mill is going to come from. So, and it's, you know, I understand that a lot of people don't have the space and, 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 stuff like that, but, but composting makes it where you don't really, you can use that instead of your buying fertilizer. Um, and so I just wanted to talk a little bit more of like urban gardening and, and, and just pacing yourself yeah. when you're starting this whole process.
2: Yeah, well, what I like about making these small incremental changes like you mentioned, for instance, just eating slightly more seasonally, you don't need to be super strict with yourself, but just eating slightly more seasonally is the way that these things stack. So you start with just that. And just by doing that, you're already going to be changing the way you're thinking about what you eat and you're going to be changing the way you're thinking about how you source things and by eating more seasonally you're going to open up the variety of foods that you eat and just by doing that that has the knock-on effect like i say the way these things stack is just really exciting and incredible and just by opening up what you eat at different times of the year you're going to introduce new things to your diet you're going to widen your palate and that's going to make it even easier to do all the other things because you're going to have a greater choice of things when you go to the supermarket that have traveled less distance because your diet is more varied than it might otherwise have been you're going to connect with your food a little bit more because you're going to be a little bit more creative about how you use it maybe so you're going to you know not everyone's a chef I get that you know I love cooking and for me it's something I love my wife doesn't love cooking and that's okay too but we can still just make these tiny incremental changes that add up so start with eating a little bit seasonally and start with growing something yourself and the second you've grown something yourself you're going to value it that much more you're going to value it so much more than something you bought in the supermarket and if it's left on your plate or in the pot because there's some leftover it goes straight in the bin and you don't think twice about it but if you've grown that yourself you're going to think of a way to use those leftovers and you're going to think of a way of salvaging that bit of the plant that you would otherwise throw away and obviously composting is where things go at the end of the day but you'll reduce the amount that even goes to your compost because you've you've invested something in this little project this little project that has come to fruition in the tomato in your hand is now something you value. And then on top of that, eating things fresh like tomatoes, it's a completely different game. A tomato straight off a tomato plant. And again, anyone can grow a tomato plant. You can get some little tiny ones that grow to a foot tall and that will sit in a pot on a windowsill. And the taste difference is just incredible. Now, obviously I've got lots and lots of space where I am. I'm very, very lucky to be able to do everything. So I can keep bees and I can raise my goats and other meat animals and what have you, but you don't need a massive space to do most of these things. So you can get a trellis and you can grow beans in a pot. You can get, if you've got space in your garden, for a bathtub, if you've got that kind of space, everyone knows how big a bathtub is, that's why I use that <laughs> example. If you've got space in your garden for a bathtub, you've got space in your garden for two chickens. So if, in the space...
0: That was a, that's, that was going to actually be my next point, is um, you're uh, on, um, I think it was a later episode, you, you talk about incorporating chickens into... Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually something that I have been thinking about doing. And I, my yard's probably, I mean, I've just got a a fence, a um, privacy fence um, put around and it's made my yard feel a lot bigger because before, I know that sounds weird, you know, having a a fence makes it feel bigger. But now I, I have my garden and I started collecting my rainwater and I'm starting to want, you know, exactly like you said, as soon as I tasted my first bit of cilantro that I, that I grew, It's like now I'm now I'm I'm addicted to it. I want I (laughs) want to, you know, I want to grow all my food. I want to I want to have chickens. I want to I I don't want to buy any eggs. I just want to always have eggs. And so I wanted to talk about um, incorporating chickens uh, and into your whole um, self-sufficiency.
2: Well, chickens are just they're just huge because you can keep them and I mean keep them happily. So we' all of our animals, their welfare comes above everything else. So we, part of what we're doing is to be self-sufficient and sustainable, but it's also to be ethical. So you know we don't have any animals, even ones that are born purely to be for the table. all of those animals have the very best life an animal could have. Uh, I know I'm going slightly on a tangent here, but I I think it's quite important that I mention it. So we raise meat, uh, pork pigs, and they have the run of an acre of woodland and they're completely free-range they're just they're the happiest pigs you'll ever see and we as of this year we're going to be doing the slaughtering and butchering ourselves on site so this pig will literally go from just eating an apple to there being nothing there'll be no trauma of it being put in a in a trailer or anything else you know and i don't think that, that there's anything unethical about that i think it's the you know that that, that pig the pig the life the pig has a net positive, as in it would far rather have lived that life than have not lived at all. Which is, I think, is completely different to the the horror show that is factory farming for the most part. So when I say you can keep chickens in this small space, that's not, you know, horrible life for the hens. If you get a couple of bantams, which is a small breed of chicken, they're going to be more than happy in a bathtub size run with a coop at the end. And if you can let them out onto your lawn as well, then. Absolutely do that. Absolutely do that. They'll enjoy it even more. But one of the reasons why chickens are just this powerhouse for self sufficiency is because you can feed them for free. If you're able to run them on a decent sized bit of grass, they're going to forage for all sorts of bugs and slugs and grubs, and they're going to eat a little bit of grass and plants. And then that coupled with table scraps. You're going to be able to feed them for free if you're a little bit smart about what you grow and how you grow it, things like that and a little just to put a little bit of effort into it. you can feed them for free. So once you've got your hens, they're costing you nothing to run if you like. and then they're going to give you just this amazing compost, this amazing fertilizer for your plants that you're going to be growing to create even more food for yourself and your hens. and another byproduct is eggs and they're going to do all this quite happily just th- that's what they do that's what they want to do you know they, they just want to they want to eat poop and lay eggs <laughs> and, and you know and, and they're happy to do it you know you're not forcing them to do anything and th- so you've got all this and then if you've got a family as well they
3: just make a fantastic pet they've got ridiculously hilarious characters sometimes. <laughs> and if you you know if you've had them from young
2: chicks they can be super friendly or Yes, I'm a huge advocate of chickens. They're just that perfect, I'm sure that you're familiar with permaculture, but they just fit into a permaculture system and the way we, everybody who wants to be more self-sufficient and wants to be more sustainable should be trying to close loop as many systems as possible. So what you're trying to do is recycle the energy that flows through your life, your household and your garden. And that's not a a hippie way of thinking at all. I mean, I'm talking scientifically. When I say energy, I'm talking about calories. And you want to recycle as much energy as you can. And now, of course, you're being gifted sunlight, which is a constant source of energy coming into your system. So with careful management you shouldn't really need to add anything else. You're also getting free rainwater. That's obviously variable depending on your climate and where you are. But again, with careful – and I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've got it all figured out and this is how we run it and I never get anything in. But I'm just saying that we're getting enough free energy already entering our system just from sunlight and rainwater that – if we are diligent and careful and considered in our approach we shouldn't need to enter any more energy into our systems in our gardens at all and we should just be able to take that energy out by cropping now of course one way that we're going to lose that energy is when we flush things down the toilet so if you had and and this is i accept this is a bit beyond a lot of people's desire but you know if you had a compost loo that you used that would sort of close that outlet and So when you're... I'm not trying to say that anyone needs to be thinking about a compost loop to get started. That's ridiculous. In fact, definitely don't think about a compost loop when you're getting started. But it's the thought process that I find interesting and exciting and I like to dive into. And it's the thought process of you shut off all the outlets. Everywhere you're wasting... I've done an episode which is called Waste and it addresses this point, actually. And it's all about just... You you think about everything that you physically bring into your systems, and that could be anything. It could be food from the supermarket. It could be feed for your animals. It could be packaging that arrives when you buy something from Amazon. But these are all physical forms of energy. If we can reduce the amount of physical forms of energy that we're sending away, either by flushing them or putting them in the garbage, in the recycling, or in the waste, then one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to be on a a TV show called Hoarders because you're (laughs) doing it all wrong and you're just not throwing out things that you should be throwing out. Or if you're super smart and you're recycling and you're composting and all that kind of thing, then what you're going to be doing is you're just going to be adding to the vibrancy of your garden and the things that you can harvest. It's just Again, this comes down to what I was saying before about how things just build incrementally and they all compound each other. Just thinking about things slightly differently, thinking about waste that way compounds with everything else. So you've already decided you're going to eat a little bit more seasonally. You've already decided you're going to maybe maybe learn just a few of the uh, wild edible plants that you can forage for in your area that you can maybe pick when you're going for a walk with your dog or whatever. And all of these things compound on each other and build and build and build, and they just create this amazingly simple but much much more sustainable way of living and eating.
0: Wow. Carl, you are a encyclopedia of um, information. <laughs> I mean, truly, I could talk to you all day. Um, and what I think that I think that a really cool thing for us to do would be maybe. Um, Later on down the road, another episode that we do, we, we come we come check in with you and just talk about... I mean, like you said, I, I've, I've went through some of your episodes, but there's just so many that have so much good information. And if you guys uh, out there listening have not ever listened to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast, uh, Carl has basically everything. I was just looking through some of the episodes right now. We got Raising Goats, Permaculture, we got... Compost basics, how to design and build a, an herb spiral. I mean, there's there's literally everything. Um, and so I'm just so so glad that we were able to connect, so glad that we were able to, to make this work. And, um, I, you know, I've never been to Europe, but uh, my girlfriend and I are planning a trip. And so now I know that your place is going to be one stop. Um, I don't know. Oh, how...
2: I'd love that. You're more than welcome, Caleb. Seriously. You, no, I was you know, seriously staying... thinking that. Hill trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, definitely stay in touch. And, and I would absolutely be delighted to come back and be on another episode.
0: Yeah. And like um, so Ashley and I were actually talking today and we were trying to get some topics for our future. She's actually about to have a baby. Um, and so she's sort of the glue that helps hold all the organization for the podcast together. And we were trying to decide on some of our topics. So um, I feel like that you're a guest that we could have over and over and over and learn something every time so I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on here we'll definitely keep in touch and thank you so much for the information that
2: that you gave us absolute pleasure before I go can I just quickly shout out where people can find me of course so um you can find me we've got a youtube channel as well which is called self-sufficient hub and on there I do a lot of foraging videos alongside all the stuff we've been talking about so if you want to learn about edible mushrooms and things like that but we've also got the Self Sufficient Hub podcast and we're on Facebook. We've got a group on Facebook, which you can join. It's a fairly new group, but come along, join it. And, uh, you know, if, if, if ever you want to discuss anything with me, that's uh, one way you can find me. And the last thing is you can email me at uh, selfsufficientcontact at com.
0: And we will make sure to um, tag all of those in our um, description for the podcast for this episode. Bless you. Thank you so much, Carl. It's been such a pleasure, and I can't wait to, to speak to you again.
2: Pleasure. Stay in
0: touch. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. All right, pod listeners, so before we end each episode, you know what we like to do. So without further ado, I give to you the Ranger Report, brought to you by the Tennessee State Parks. Fun and adventure, naturally. Okie dokie for our Ranger Report this month, we are going to be highlighting Frozen Head State Park. And luckily we have Ranger David Brady here with us today. How are you doing, Mr. Brady? Doing just fine. How about yourself? I can't complain. Still um, still doing the podcast from my home office, so it's I'm starting to get used to it now. Um, it was a little weird before, but um, you know, it's it's starting to become the the norm now. So um, how are uh, how are things over at Frozen Head? Uh, we've, we've been pretty busy.
3: Um, we've been having a lot of visitation, especially since we've reopened. Uh, we've had a lot of visitation. Everybody wanting to get out and just been really busy, almost like Memorial Day weekend every weekend, but that's great. You know, we love having the people
0: out, uh, hitting the trails out here and just coming out to enjoy nature. So are y'all having to... Um I put a cap on the amount of people that come or, or give certain rules or anything with, with the current situation? So we were uh, back when
3: we had a little bit more of the um, restrictions and things like that. We were encouraging social distancing and we had signs everywhere and whenever our parking spaces filled up uh, here at the park, we would actually go out to the front gates and people would have to wait, have to do a one car out, one car in. But luckily we only had to do that one weekend. Uh, other than that, it kind of just self-regulated. But, uh, you know, we had picnic areas you could only be or just on the trail and stuff you could be in groups of 10 people and everybody was encouraged to, to wear masks and things like that. But now uh, we're still encouraging social distancing, but uh, the group numbers have increased. So um, I can have up to groups of 50 people now. Um, but other than that, we're just, we're slowly getting back to, to somewhat normal, uh, but we're still, making sure everybody's keeping their safe distances and wearing masks if they, if they feel
0: so inclined. Awesome. So I wanted to get into a little bit about you. Um, maybe if, if you wouldn't mind talking about um, how you came, became a park ranger or, um, you know, your history with the Tennessee State Park system.
3: Sure. Yeah. So I grew up originally just right outside of Standing Stone State Park. Uh, my grandfather's land actually uh, butted up to it in the back and We would go down there all the time, just, you know, ride our bicycles and go for picnics and stuff like that. So I kind of, not necessarily grew up in the park, but I was there quite a bit growing up. And then um, my great grandmother, she really instilled a a love of nature. She would take me on walks down by the creek by our house and just kind of instilled a love of nature. And uh, since I had that kind of a bond with the park, I kind of knew pretty early on that that was something I wanted to do. But then uh, the summer of 2008, I worked as a seasonal laborer down at Standing Stone State Park for a season. And then uh, the seasons of 2013 and 2014, the summers of 13 and 14, I was a seasonal maintenance and then a seasonal interpretive ranger at Burgess Falls State Park. And then the summer of 2017, I was a seasonal interpretive ranger at Fall Creek Falls State Park and then while I was there I actually got my job here as a full-time ranger here at Frozen
0: Head State Park. Awesome that's that's really cool and it's really neat that you got to go and be a part of so many different parks I feel like that's um you know sort of beneficial uh with being in the, the the park system you you know a lot of the parks you're able to but I guess I don't really know once you get your park um Do you you usually stay there for a while? Do you move around? How does that work? Right, so um, whenever you get hired on
3: as a full-time ranger, you'll you'll be hired on and then you'll get your date when you go to the Tennessee Law Enforcement Training Academy. And whenever you do that, you'll get your commission. But for the first two years, you're kind of on a probationary period. And then after those two years are up, any time after that two-year mark, uh you can transfer to any other park as spots become available you still have to apply and see if you get hired and things like that and interview still do all that process but you can transfer to other parks after that first two years but then once you transfer to another park you have to go through another two-year progressionary period before you can transfer again so you know you don't have people just hopping around from park to park real real quick and having to fill those slots but uh but yeah it just depends on if it's the park that you really want to stay at or know, if you just want to get your foot in the door and then eventually work your way back to closer to home. But uh, I've been on staying here for for quite a few more years.
0: Yeah, I love Frozen Head State Park. Um, That's actually, last year, I took a group of my friends um, and we went and camped and did the hike up to the the fire tower. Um, And it was just really cool because a lot of of times my friends want to go to you know to these other states to go on trips hiking trips and i'm I, i'm just like hey guys we have so many beautiful hikes and campsites in all of our 56 state parks so uh, i wanted to bring them to sort of show them you know it's not far out of our backyard that we have you know just beautiful um nature to to enjoy and we don't have to go that far but um speaking of that i wanted to give a little bit of history on frozen head state park can you let me know like when it became a state park, what it was before that, and um, that kind of information.
3: Sure, yeah, just a real quick overview of it. Um, it. Became a state park in 1973, and that's when it officially became a state park. And uh, but actually, before that, it was per this land that Frozenhead is on was purchased whenever Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary was originally um, instituted and built in the late 1800s. Um, it was purchased for that for that reason uh, where they were going to coal mine and log and stuff like that and then I'm not sure exactly the date or the year uh, when it transferred over but uh, after I think about 30 or 40 years it transferred over to the Morgan County State Forest so then it was still protected land it was still the Morgan County State Forest and it was kind of managed on that, that side of things and then in 1973 is when it became the park and uh, that's kind of how we, had, how we know it today, but uh, one of the other notable things that happened here on the park uh, that helped shape the park and make it what it is, is there was a civilian conservation corps camp that was here on the park and it's actually over in our interpretive loop and we're doing some work on that to sort of restore that area. But uh, it was here in 19, of course it started in 1933 and they came out here and they were here for a few months but they actually moved locations uh, about three miles up the road towards Lansing and they set up there from 53 to 37 i believe and then they moved back here and built the the other camp as it is well as it was now um as the main camp and they were here from 37 to 30 or 37 to 41. um that was about around the time that it was kind of disbanded and all the all the efforts were going towards the war effort for uh, world war ii but Uh, That was another notable historical thing that happened here. But, uh, but yeah, 1973
0: was when it became a state park. Awesome. And so the CCC, I'd heard possibilities of that sort of starting back up um, or, or, you know, a newer version of it uh and like a modern day one? yeah because of um you know the unemployment and stuff like that with all the the covid and everything like that it, i think it was just you know talk i don't know if it's actually going to happen but it sort of got me all excited because i was like that's really cool um but yeah. yeah that would be great i mean all of our infrastructure that was kind of built around that
3: time originally in the 30s and 40s is kind of in need of repair so i mean that that would be pretty cool if that was
0: something that came about Yeah. I don't know where I read that article. I think it was, it was some, some news article that I wrote, just ideas of, of how to, to get us back on track. I thought that was really cool. Um, so getting into some of the specifics of the park, um, the size location, if if someone's never been there, can you sort of give them an idea if they're looking at a map like from the interstate and then also like how big it is in comparison to the other, the other parks?
3: yeah sure so we are located in morgan county tennessee uh, just outside of the town of wartburg and uh, morgan county is directly let's see directly west of knoxville and knox county uh from knoxville it's about it's about an hour hour and 20 minute drive uh, from knoxville Uh, another notable place that it's close to it would be oak ridge and from oak ridge it's only about a 35 40 minute drive uh, not a bad drive at all uh, from the interstate, depending on where you come off of the interstate, you can come off at Harriman or you can come off, um, I believe at Kingston. There's a couple of places there along. You'll see some, some roadsides for it. But we're about uh, 40, 30 minutes from the, the interstate, depending on where you hop off at. But uh, we're here in Morgan County, and we have the main area of the park is 24,000 acres. So uh, we have quite a bit of land here, and we also have some recreational easement land that uh, adjoins to the park that we – somewhat manage and keep keep an eye on but uh, we have over 50 miles of trails we've got around just a little around over 50 miles of trails of hiking trail we don't have any atv trails or anything like that we're, we're strictly a hiking trail park so people have described us as a hiker's paradise we've also got a primitive campground that's got a full bathhouse that's got around 20 sites two of them being group sites and then we have eight more group sites along down by the creek. They're a little bit larger, but they're a little bit more primitive, I guess you could say. And then we also have about 10 backcountry sites scattered throughout the backcountry along our trails that are uh, strictly hiking uh, that you have to hike to. But other than that, we're we're really just a big um hiking and backpacking place. Um and we're also a big um runner place, so people who like to trail run, uh, they like to come out here and hop on the trails and um uh, with the, the notability of the the Barkley Marathons, uh, we have a lot of people that come out here to see if they've got the what it takes to run on the trails.
0: Wow, um, yeah, it's there's a funny story about Frozen Head. Whenever my friends and I went there, um, I live in Murfreesboro, so it's you know you get on forty or or you get on eight forty to forty and then go all the way. And I think we got on off. I'm not sure what exit it was, but. Um, We were camping, we went on a, the day we were going to leave, we went on this small little hike um, at the end of the, where you can drive to, that has a little waterfall, Um, and um, we started home from there, and about when we got to the interstate, to 40, I realized I didn't have my phone, and I didn't know what, what had happened to it, and so... We had to end up going all the way back, and I actually found it. I left it on the back of my truck, and it had fallen off in the park. Um, but, you know, you don't have service there, so I couldn't track it, so I just was r- sort of retracing our steps. We went all throughout the hike, looked for it, couldn't find it, and then for some reason, right when we were leaving, you know, driving slowly through the park, I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw it upside down on the... We had just passed it, and nothing was wrong with it, and... I, uh, it, it's just, that's a, that's my funny story about Frozen Head State Park is I lost my phone there and it it was a bit of a, 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 an issue us having to go back, but I mean, it was worth it because I found it and nothing was wrong with it, so.
3: Yeah, at least you found it. You know, a lot of people have the misfortune of dropping it while they're out on the trail and not knowing it, and then
0: they have no idea where it's at on the trail, so that's it's pretty lucky that it was there on the road for you. Yeah, it, it actually became one of my favorite parks because of that. I, I feel like I have good luck uh, at Frozen Head nice. But, um, well, I think that basically covers everything. Can you think of anything else that you want to, uh, highlight from the park?
3: Um, yeah, just, uh, some kind of other notable places to go and check out while you're here on the park. Uh, you mentioned our waterfall trails. It's an easy, easy, fairly easy hike to get to that. But then we also have a, uh, lookout or observation tower on the peak of Frozen Head, um, uh, mountain that, elevation of 3,324 feet, and from up there on a clear enough day, uh, you can actually see all the way over to the Smokies, and you can see the Smokies from there, but you can get a big 360-degree you know, degree view all around you, and you can see for miles up there. It's pretty cool. And then we also have a, uh, an old historical home that we're actually getting ready to have uh, sort of restored or refurbished, I guess you could say. It's called the Stone Cypher-Kelly House. Uh, it's over on 62, but it's an over 200-year-old historical home. And um have some notable notable people that live there and notable things that happen there, but it's a pretty neat pretty neat house. Um but yeah, other than that, just our trails and come out and hike and do some camping with us.
0: Awesome. Yeah, whenever we can we went up to that observation deck or observation tower and um I have some cool pictures. So whenever this episode goes out i will make sure that I post some of those pictures the uh, that correspond with this Ranger report. So um well yeah, that'd be great. And uh, I'll definitely have to uh, get back out there, and whenever I come, I'll, I'll uh, email you or something beforehand, maybe we can meet um, in person, so.
3: Yeah, sounds great, and if you're, or anybody that's listening that ever comes to the park, you can check out our Facebook page or our Instagram page, uh, and if you take any pictures while you're up here, please, you know, tag us, we love to see the pictures, and... Uh, we'd love to see what everybody gets into here so yeah but that'd be great That'd, that'd be
0: nice to meet you yeah all right well um david thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule i know as a park ranger you got a lot of stuff going on um so it means a lot that you take time to highlight the park i will talk to you later and appreciate you being on